0: The message this morning, amen. Thank you, Miss Marcia. Before the message this morning, we want to take some time and, and recognize the, the kids that have uh, participated in our Pilgrim's Progress study the past several weeks. But first, I do, we do want to thank the adults that have helped out. When we did the Pilgrim's Progress study a few weeks ago, it's been something I've been wanting to do for a while, and, and uh, I enlisted Travis Arnold to help me because I thought we'd probably have maybe eight, ten kids, four of them being my, my kids. And we ended up having 35. 40 kids that had registered for it and coming through it and so i did not have my adult i didn't have my help uh recruited anyway but some ended up coming and helping and thank you so much for those adults and parents that stayed stuck around and helped out each night because i was completely overwhelmed (laughs) all right so i'm gonna uh, let the kids have their books this morning this is sort of their graduation uh from the Pilgrim's progress study and i'll ask my lovely assistant to join me at the front Give a hand for our lovely assistant. Now I'm in big trouble. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read your name out of this book. And if I leave somebody out, that uh, then you let me know about it. I'm sure you will. Okay? Okay. So come on up here and stay up here with us when I call your name. All right. You're supposed to do that. All right. Kylie? Kylie here this morning? Not here? Okay. Here, you pull the books out and hand them to me. All right. Sorry. Taya Wallace. Come on, Taya. All right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and Nora Knapp. Yep, yeah, there's Nora. Yeah, stay up here with us. Everybody stay right here. Nyla. That's Nyla's. And Leah Fowler, Nev Knapp, Isaiah Fuller, Lazy and Cornelius Griffith. We got one book for both of you. They may be in the nursery, I'm not sure oh here they come all right <laughs> come on up boys Tanner Harms I don't think he's here this morning all right good job guys you guys share that book together there buddy all right Nixon Knapp and Aiden Lasswell I'm going to start calling names out quicker so be ready come on up here uh, Justice Griffith James Brewer there's Justice and James all right Cade Slater <laughs> Apollos Griffith. Right there. Here's Kate and Apollos. Noah Fuller. Is Noah in the nursery? He's in the nursery, okay. All right, you take it to him. That's good, all right. Here we go, Isaiah Turner. Well. I told the older boys I won't not have them come up. Trip Turner. Come on, Trip. Sorry, Isaiah, I forgot. Eli Musgrave. Titus Frills. Titus Frills. Ada Fowler. Is Ada in the nursery or is she in here? Okay, Ada's in the nursery, but here. It's Fowler, Fowler people. All right. Titus Griffith and Barnabas Griffith, a.k.a. Minecraft Master. Okay. We're about done here. Let's see. Elijah Turner, Keegan Slater, Kellen Slater. Here comes Elijah. Mckay Frills. Mark Valpel is. Mark's not here, is he? Okay. And okay, let's see. Mckay Frills. We got him. Here you go, Mckay. Kate Fowler. Lydia Frills. Naomi Knapp. Lydia Fowler okay and we've got probably 10 kids gone this morning too so we had a great time these kids get a great job and uh, they're gonna do something right now they didn't plan to do but I know they can handle it so everybody take one of these we're gonna sing for them this morning remember this song we've learned a little bit take one of those one of the songs that we've been learning in Pilgrim's Progress is an old hymn called Trust and Obey and uh because that's really what the Christian life is, is about. is trusting and obeying the Lord and doing what his word says. Everybody come here and get one of these. All right. So they didn't know they were gonna sing for you this morning, but I thought if I told them they might skip church or something. I didn't know. All right. Who needs one? Here you go. All right, guys, everybody ready? All right, we're gonna sing it.
1: Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss Not a frown or a cross But is blessed if we trust and obey Trust and obey For there's no other way To be happy in Jesus but to trust and
0: obey. Now sing real loud on the last and we'll have to do it all over again. All right, here we go. Then in
1: fellowship sweet
0: Join us on the course if you know it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to
1: trust and obey.
0: Amen. Good job, guys. You guys, go have a seat. You take the paper with you. Take the paper with you, okay? Go have a seat. Keep it with you. Keep the paper all right, as they're having a seat, I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. I'm getting a lot of feedback up here, guys, in the back, so I don't know what's going on. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Uh, please stand with me as we honor God in reading his word together this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I'll begin reading at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray together again. Our Father, thank you that you've given us your word We ask that you would speak to us now from your word. Your word is powerful and more sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Lord, go to the very core of who we are, Lord, and cut out anything that needs to be cut out. Convict us, equip us, encourage us, help us to see the glory of who you are. Enable us who are believers to persevere better. Open the eyes of those that are blind to the gospel those that are deceived and think they know the gospel already show them otherwise and draw them to yourself in jesus name i pray amen you can be seated john bunyan is the author of pilgrim's progress and john bunyan was a baptist preacher and he was a baptist preacher during a period of time when people didn't want baptist around in england And so on two different occasions, he was arrested and thrown in jail for his faith in Jesus. Last Wednesday night, the children and and myself and the adults that were there, we watched a little video, uh, animated video about John Bunyan's life. And so much of the book that he wrote called Pilgrim's Progress uh, really is somewhat of a autobiography because in this book, Pilgrim's Progress, it talks about a lot of trials and things that Christians go through. And Christians should expect to go through because being a Christian, being a pilgrim in this world is not a walk in the park. So John Bunyan experienced that in his own life. He was not an educated man at all. Uh, he was just a simple Baptist preacher uh, who after living a rough life had come to know the Lord Jesus and God had called him into the in ministry. And he persevered even though he was arrested on a couple of different occasions like I'd already mentioned And in the book Pilgrim's Progress, the main character of Pilgrim's Progress name is actually Christian. And Christian uh, lives in a town called, as display number one over here says, the City of Destruction. And as he's in the City of Destruction, you come across this figure, Christian, who has found out that he has a burden upon his back, a big weight upon his back, a burden. This burden represents the guilt because of his sin. And there's a man he meets named Evangelist that helps him understand how to get rid of his burden and he points him to a book that he has in his hand and that book is the Bible. And because of that he understands that he lives in a city that's about to be destroyed because of its sin. And Christian is married and he has a family. You know what the name of his wife is? Christiana. And Christiana and his children don't understand why Christian wants to leave the city of destruction. They ask him not to leave. But he says, I have to leave. I have to love Christ more than anything. Now, that's not a call to leave our families, but it's a call not to put our families in front of Christ. Amen. So that's what the book is talking about. And so we see Christian leaving, going to the narrow gate and needing to stay on the path, the narrow path that leads to heaven, to the celestial city. And along the way, he encounters many different challenges, many different things. The, the uh, fiends that we refer to as one of them was Apollyon, representing Satan, who tries to get him to turn back and go back to the city of destruction because, you know, after, after all, this is not easy, Christian. You need to go back and not persevere. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Keep going. Like we sang this morning, Jesus is better. Just one glimpse of him in glory and the toils of life will repay. But that takes great faith. And you come to Hebrews chapter 11 and you see what's called the roll call of faith. Faith. You see many people being called out whose names like Abraham and others who themselves like Christian in the book Pilgrim's Progress were pilgrims in this world, considered themselves exiles, people like Noah and Enoch and others who even though they didn't embrace with their hands and with their eyes the, the very things God promised continued in faith. They continued to persevere. They didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel. They kept saying to themselves that the promises God has made are better than anything in this world. And so they kept going. that's what this message is about. That's what the Christian life is about, about persevering in faith. So at one point, towards the end of the book, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has met up with a friend named Hopeful. They had another friend named Faithful whom they met up with at the place called Vanity Fair back there in the back. And and Faithful was martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus. So we remember the kids that night how Faithful was executed and killed because of his faith in the Lord Jesus and how Christian was secretly jealous of Faithful because Faithful got to go on and be with him in glory. So the worst thing that happened to you is not to die. Really, that's the best thing that happened to you if you're a Christian, amen? The worst thing that happened to you is to die in your sin. And so he meets up with this man named Faithful, or excuse me, Hopeful, and they continue their journey as Christians together because we need other believers in this life. You can't be solo. Quit saying to yourselves, me and God's got this figured out. Me and God do our own thing together. You need the church. You need other believers in your life. Hogwashed in all this, I'm just gonna do things myself. Anti-biblical, anti-Christian. You need believers in your life if you're gonna persevere in faith to the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay, you're in church this morning, so good. You checked it off your list. Don't just check it off your list. Don't just show up in church. Biblical fellowship is hanging out together, pouring over the word together, studying the word together, praying for one another, and you don't get that just by showing up on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. It's more than that. So I'm glad you're here. But press in and enjoy the fellowship with the church so you'll persevere to the glory of Christ that you said you love. Well, I didn't plan on saying all that this morning. That's extra, so here we go. Christian and hopeful come to the end of their journey. They've been through a lot of things in this book, Pilgrim's Progress, and they come to a river, And there's two shining ones, two angels that meet them at the river. And this river, we found out with the kids, represents death. And the angels tell them that all men must go through the river. They say, we have to go through the river? Yes. All men must go through the river. There's only two that didn't go through the river, and that's Elijah and Enoch. But all men must go through the river. And so Christian and hopeful begin to go to the river. And it's deep, and and they say, well, according to your faith is how how you'll find your experience going through the river, this river that represents death. and As Christian begins to go through the river, he becomes scared and frightened and, and terrified and begins to think that he's not going to make it he's not, and, that, and that perhaps he's not going to get to see the celestial city after all because God's displeased with him. But Hopeful's faith is strong. And he says, brother, but where I'm standing is firm ground. I'm not sinking. And the Christian says, the waves are about to go over my head. And, he, and Hopeful says to him, but brother, I'm here with you. I can see it's just ahead. And so because his brother is with him, but because of God's grace, they persevere. And they go through the river of death. Their experience is different, but they land at the same place. And they come to the celestial city. And along the way, as they go through the river, this is a quote from Pilgrim's Progress. It says this, Therefore, Hopeful struggled in his attempts to keep his brother's head above water. Sometimes Christian would seem to have sunk down for good, but after a short time, he would rise to the surface again as one half dead, and Hopeful attempted to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate, and men standing nearby to welcome us. Keep persevering. Keep going. We're almost home. The experience of Christian and Hopeful when they, re- they came to the point of death, was their experience was different and similar at the same time. But what we're supposed to remember is that both died in faith as pilgrims. And I want you to look at your Bible and notice the first phrase of verse 13 that we read. These all, Abraham, these that have been mentioned, these all died in faith in faith praise the lord in faith and not out of faith they died in faith and so a question we want to ask this morning is what is faith now first of all notice in verse 13 are you looking at your bible it says these all died in faith not having received the things promised they died in faith but what had been promised to them they couldn't put their hands on they couldn't enjoy in this world in this life what were the things that were promised? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, by faith, a- by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. It was a place, a place where they could enjoy the promises of God. Verse 10 says this, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for a city that was not of this world. But he didn't come to that place. Verse 16 says this. Look at verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So the things promised was this heavenly country, this place where God has built a place for them to be with God and be in God's presence. But they didn't get to enjoy that in this life. They didn't have the things that were promised. But they died in faith they did have faith And that's what you need is faith what is faith there's all kinds of silly shallow definitions of faith in the world we're talking about faith in god faith in jesus faith that lasts so look at chapter 11 verse 1 it gives you a definition of faith faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen So they died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but they died in faith. They died, listen, they died in faith, so they died like verse 1 says. They had died with the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These things that they couldn't put their hands on, they didn't receive, they were still being hoped for when they died. Didn't have them yet, still being hoped for, but they were sure of it that they were going to have it. These things that they still could not see with their physical eyesight, yet they were still convinced that they were gonna get it. They died in faith. Verse 13, in fact, says, having seen them. So though they didn't see it with their physical eyes, they saw what God had promised with eyes of faith. They all died in faith. They lived and died with the promises of God in sight. It wasn't a temporary faith, Next Sunday, Ryan Horrell is going to be preaching from Matthew 13 about the parable of soils. You'll see some who have a temporary faith in the parable of soils. Their faith was not a perfect faith. Each of these that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 sin in some way and stumble and have doubt along the way. But it was a permanent, persevering faith. Look at chapter 10, verse 38 and 39 quickly. Verse 38 of chapter 10 says, but my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But verse 39 says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. It was a persevering faith and enduring faith of those who are true believers. Here's the main point of the message, folks. The main point is this. If you have faith in Christ, you will live and die like pilgrims with the promises in sight. That's what verse 13's talking about. Verse 13 says again, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but look at the rest of verse 13. You see the end of verse 13? Are you looking at your Bible? But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They had the promises in sight, but they, didn't, they, they weren't embracing them in all its fullness. And so it is in our experience as well even though we have more revelation than the, they did at that time, we've not yet enjoyed the fullness of the adoption of the inheritance that's been promised to us. But if we have faith in Christ, we will live and die like pilgrims with the promises in sight. So last night I was studying up late, staying up late studying the message some more and, and uh, I squashed a bug and I squashed this bug and picked it up while it was wiggling around still and squashed it again and threw it in the trash. And then I thought to myself, that poor old bug, not really, but I thought, you know, I just squashed that bug like its life wasn't nothing. Like its life just didn't mean nothing and really it don't mean nothing to me really, it's bug. But I thought to myself, in relation to who God is and who I am, I'm, the Bible says the nations are like less than a drop in a bucket. So how much less than I in God's sight? Yet created in the image of God. God could rightly just squash me like a bug and just, you know, stomp, keep on going and never think a thing about it. You do that to bugs, you know? Just squash. It's just a bug. God could do that. But God's created us. He's created us in his image. What I'm trying to help you understand is our life means something to God. He created us in his image. My kids at home, sometimes they, they, they make pictures and so forth. I was asking asked them yesterday, do you want to keep this picture that you created? They're like, no, I'm done with it. Wad it up, throw it away. It's their creation, but they say, no, wad it up, throw it away. And and God says about his creation as far as those created in his image. He doesn't just just, just say, I'm just going to wad you up, throw you away, squash you like a bug, and go on about myself like you mean nothing. No, he's saying in Hebrews chapter 11, he's crying out to his people to say, your life means something. You're created for his glory. There's a purpose for you, and that's to worship God. This is him saying in his whole book, your life is not meaningless to me. I created you. You're not like dogs. I get so tired of hearing about commercials about saving dogs and animals. I know there's pet lovers in here this morning, and I don't mean to to make you upset about that, but I'm telling you, your life is worth a whole lot more than any animal out there. You're created in God's image, there's purpose and meaning for it. And this book, when you read it, when, he's, when you read this message here about persevering, he wants you to be with him someday. When we all get to heaven, he wants that to be true for you. That's, that's, that's what he's saying to us this morning. He wants you to live and die as a pilgrim with the promises in sight. So what's that look like and what's that mean? Three things. If this is true about our life, That we're these kind of pilgrims dying and living with the promises in sight. Our lives are going to be marked by three faith sustaining traits, characteristics. Three faith sustaining traits. Number one, make it clear what you're seeking. Make it clear what you're seeking. Being Memorial Day, and we think about soldiers who live and die like soldiers. Soldiers. If you've been in the military, or other experiences as well are true this way as, as well, but in the military, you take on the identity of a soldier. It's hard, for, in fact, for soldiers when they leave the military to sometimes adapt to life as a civilian because that's been so much a part of their identity for so long, some really struggle with that. But these soldiers take on this identity and they live and die this way. And what I want you to see about these who are true believers who are these pilgrims is in verse 13, the end end of verse 13 says about these that are true believers who die in faith. It says, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they took on this identity. They didn't receive the promises, but they had this faith in, in God and his promises that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ that they, 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 they took on this identity that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They said, this is who I am. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. So they took, they took on a pilgrim-like identity, just like pilgrims coming to the new world that you've learned about in colonial history and so forth. They're leaving the old land. They're looking for a better place, and in this case, a place that's been promised for them. And what happens when you take on such an identity? Then you act upon it. And it's clear by how you live that you're just not saying you're a stranger or a pilgrim. You're just not saying you're a Christian. You're just not saying, yeah, I'm a a Jesus follower. But instead, look at verse 14. For people who speak thus, make it clear. So they speak thus, they acknowledge, I'm a pilgrim, I'm a Christian. I'm a stranger in exile on this earth. They acknowledge that, verse 13. People that speak thus, speak that way about themselves, make it, what's it say? They make it clear. You see that in verse 14? Now, how is it that they're making it clear other than simply saying that it's true? I believe it's by their life matches up to it. They make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. I remember Dan and I, we... Uh, having our first child Josiah we went to babies or us anybody been to babies or us before we were in Kansas City went to babies or us I know nothing about anything uh, in relation to that kind of stuff but I walked in there and told the lady uh well I tried to describe what we wanted she said what are you looking for I said I want one of them pusher things and she looked at me like I was the strangest person she'd ever met I said you want them pusher things you know and she, you mean a stroller, a baby cart, I guess? And I said, yeah, I could, just couldn't think of it. I, did, I wasn't making it clear to her what I was seeking. Now, in a much greater way in relation to being a Christian, the, the way we live our life should be very clear what we are seeking. That we're not just saying one thing, but, but, but the way we live our lives makes it clear that, that we're not seeking heaven on earth. That we're seeking the heaven that's been promised. And I think a lot of times we're guilty of trying to make heaven on earth. Notice what he says again in verse 14. Look at your Bible. For people who speak thus make it clear what they are seeking, what? A homeland. They're seeking a home of their own, it says in some translations. They're seeking another place that that is really home because they're not at home in this world. They're strangers and exiles in this world. So here's a question for us. How, How do I make it clear If a true pilgrim is somebody who you're living and dying like a pilgrim with the promises inside, you make it clear what you're seeking. What's that look like in practice? How do I make it clear? How am I making it clear? How are you making it clear that you're seeking not treasure on the earth? You're seeking what God's promised in Christ. How are we making that clear? We we, we can make it clear by serving others. Jesus said in Mark 10 that true greatness is, is to be a servant of others. Sacrificial living is a way of making it clear. Forgiving and waiting for vindication to come when Christ comes, that's making it clear. I don't have to have vindication right now and everybody know that I was in the right. I can wait for Jesus to vindicate me one day and I can go ahead and forgive when I've been offended. That's making it clear that you seek a homeland. We make it clear when we lay up treasures in heaven rather than squander all our money on ourselves. We make it clear through generosity by trying to extend the kingdom of God and what God's given us and by kind of lifestyle we have. We're making it clear that we're not trying to build a kingdom here on earth, heaven on earth. We're making it clear by how we live our life, by holiness. By saying, no, there's certain things I don't do because I want to please the one I love. That makes it clear that we're seeking a a country to come because there's a holiness without which none will see the Lord. We make it clear when we, we, when we fight the battle of contentment like Paul did in Philippians chapter four and he comes to and says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me and what he's saying is, I can do jail time for Jesus, I can do cancer for Jesus, I can do, I can do whatever trial or circumstance for Jesus because he's, he's better just like we sang about this morning. When we persevere and we don't whine and complain about everything that comes to our life, It's making it clear where our treasure's laid up. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. We we forsake some of what we call Christian liberty so that we don't offend our brothers. We're making it clear by that maturity that we seek something else. We seek the glory of God. And like the youth have been learning in junior high on Sunday nights, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things to be added to us. We put the Lord first. We make it clear what we're seeking. Number two, desire what lies ahead more than what lies behind. These pilgrims desire more what lies ahead than what lies behind. Again, just like pilgrims sailing to the new world or Christian and Apollyon in their battle in the book Pilgrim's Progress or Christian going through the valley of the shadow of death and all the temptations he's faced with to turn back and go back to the city of destruction because it's so hard. But there's a desire that keeps propelling us forward. There's a desire that we we want what lies ahead more than what lies behind. And so the question comes, what can we do to nurture a desire for what lies ahead more than what lies behind? Because I don't know about you, or actually I probably do know about you too because I think we're all pretty much about the same, but often I find myself desiring what lies behind here sometimes way too much. I want you to look in your Bible at verse 15 real quick and notice what it says. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they had been thinking about where they went out, they could have went back. Just like a soldier who's overseas, deployed, if his mind gets too fixed on, on being home, homesick, then he may try to somehow get out of his duty and get back, get back home because he's thinking about that way too much even though it's hard not to. We need to be homesick for our true home. It's in heaven. So if they'd been thinking, if they'd been dwelling upon what lies behind, the Bible says here, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, though, look at it. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Verse 16. The key here is their thoughts. You see that in verse 15? If they'd been thinking about what lies behind, if they had been, But instead, they have a desire. Their thoughts gravitate towards what lies ahead. So the question is, how do we nurture a desire for what lies ahead rather than what lies behind? How do we nurture that? Well, I think what we have to do is we need to fast, just like the Bible says at times. Sometimes we need to feast a little less on the world so we have a greater desire for things that really matter. I think if, if, we are, if our thoughts are to be what lies ahead, then we ought to be reading about what lies ahead in our Bibles, right? If we're going to persevere with the promises in sight, brothers and sisters, it's right here. Right here it is. And so keep reading your Bible. Keep teaching it to your children. Keep doing devotions in your families. Be in the Word of God. Be under the preaching and teaching of God's word regularly. Nurture that desire for what lies ahead. Be in Christian fellowship with other believers, reminding you of what lies ahead so that we can press forward and leave what lies behind. And thirdly, we might say to ourselves, but brother, pastor, it's, making it clear by how I live my life and desiring what lies ahead more than what lies behind, that's hard, that's difficult. It's not easy. Of course it's not easy. Jesus said carry a cross is not supposed to be easy. Thirdly and finally, seek satisfaction in the pleasures of God. Seek satisfaction in the pleasures of God. Look at verse 6 of chapter 11 and notice what it says. And without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That he rewards those who seek him. So if we want to please God, we must believe he exists. There is a God, but not just that he exists, but he's a rewarder. He's a God that's there, but he's also a God that wants relationship with mankind. That he's a rewarder, he interacts with men. So I want you to notice what he says in verse 16, the last part of verse 16 if you look at it. The thought here is that we would seek satisfaction in the pleasures of God, that this thought would compel us to press forward and make it clear and to desire what lies ahead. One of the things that will compel us to go forward is, as we seek satisfaction in the pleasures of God is to know that as we seek to live a life as a pilgrim that God is pleased with that. And if you know God, you want to please him You want to please the one you love, just like you should want to please your spouse. This heavenly bridegroom is the one we want to please. So we seek satisfaction in the pleasures of God, and we see that here in verse 16 where it says this. Therefore, you're looking at your Bible, God is not ashamed to be called their God. They desire a better country. They're making it clear by how they live their lives that they desire a better country. That they have faith, true faith, that they're pilgrims. Therefore, when God sees that, He's not ashamed to be called their God. Let's think about that for a minute. It's like somebody having a name, your last name on the back of their jersey. It says Frills. And I'm watching them play baseball, I'm watching them play football. That's my boy, that's my girl, that's my boy, that's one of them Frills boys. Pleased, or you're out somewhere and say, "Isn't that Kyle and Anita's son?" Or she's she's one of Nick and Nick and uh, Nadia. (laughs) I had it written down in my notes too, Nadia. (laughs) Isn't that one of Nick and Nadia's daughters over here? And for someone to say that's Nick and Nadia's daughter, the response for them is Nick and Nadia should be. Hopefully, I'm pleased. I'm not ashamed for her to be called my daughter. I'm not. I'm not ashamed to be connected with them. And Benita and Kyle would say, "Yeah." It's good when people say, yeah, that's one of my boys, that, that Elijah, yeah, that's, that's, that's Kyle Turner's boy. He's pleased with that because he's pleased with how Elijah's living his life. God looks at us, and, he's, and, he, and, and we're persevering in faith. He's not ashamed if somebody says, that's one of those Christians. Oh, Sherry there got baptized last Sunday. She's one of those Jesus followers, and God's not sitting back, and he's just embarrassed that, that, that somebody would be calling Sherry a Christian. Because Sherry's persevering, trying to live in faith. Oh, that's Mandy. She's one of those Christians. God's not saying, oh, please don't call her a Christian. Do Do you name the name of Jesus? You call yourself a pilgrim? You call yourself a Christian? Is God ashamed for the name of Jesus to be attached to you? If we persevere in faith, we're walking in faith. We're making it clear. We're nurturing this desire for what is to come. He's not ashamed to be to be identified with us that way. We're pleasing God, the God who made everything, is pleased by what He's doing. He gets the glory for it. It's Him who's working the will of His good pleasure anyway, right? But He's pleased. That should motivate us. We seek satisfaction in pleasing Him. And God is a rewarder. Notice it says in verse 16, he has prepared a city for them. Just like our Bible drill kids who've been working hard and soon will get their rewards for their Bible drill work. Here the creator of the universe rewards those whom he created for his glory. He's built a city for them. Those with whom he is pleased. Not because they've worked their way to heaven, folks. Please don't misunderstand the message. The Bible tells us that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, that he looks upon us and he, through what Christ has done, we're clothed in his righteousness. And it's as if God would say what he said at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son or this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Can Can you imagine that Jesus says that about you? If you're in Christ Jesus, that's what he says about you. Despite your performance this week, despite how you blew it last Monday or last night or this morning when you kicked the dog and ran over somebody else's cat or whatever it was. Positionally, he's not pleased with your practice. He would be ashamed of that, how you're acting right now, some of the sins you're committing, ashamed in that way. But if truly in Christ Jesus, he looks at you, despite all that, pleased. Pleased. He sees you like he sees Jesus. What is that but good news? And when I dwell on that, when I dwell on the gospel and how he sees me, it, it makes me want to be in practice what I am in position. You understand? I'm not trying to work my way to heaven. I, I, I'm trying to please God who has done the work to get me to heaven, you see? See? So, John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. Somebody reminded me this week about why he wrote that book. He, John Piper's father was an evangelist. And his father talked about an old man that came to their, his church for many years but was not a Christian, a very hard man, but came to the preaching every Sunday. But one Sunday, this man came under conviction and walked to the front of the church and was in tears and wept and repented and apparently became born again and received Christ. The old man said to John Piper's father, he said this, as the man continued to sob and his tears ran down his wrinkled face and talked about the impact John Piper's father had had on his life, he said with tears, I've wasted it. He's an old man now coming to Christ, but he's an old man. He said, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. John Piper said, this is a story that gripped him more than all the stories of young people who died in car wrecks before they were converted. The story of an old man weeping that he had wasted his life. God saved you for his glory. My prayer is the grace of God will grip, grip our hearts, your hearts so much that you would see that. Don't waste another moment. Don't waste your soul. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if in fact you have been converted, if in fact you're converted, you may be lost in just deceiving yourself and on your way to hell. Just like ignorance was the final figure in Pilgrim's Progress who came to the pearly gates, so to speak, but nobody was there to welcome him and they said, who are you? You don't have the deposit of the Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're never born again. And they bound him. They took him thinking he was on to heaven and they bound him and took him and threw him into hell. And that may be about to happen to you. But if in fact you are a believer in Christ, you're born again, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time trying to build your own kingdom here on earth. Don't waste it. Live and die as a pilgrim. If that's not the desire of your heart, you've probably not been born again, ever born again. You're probably lost. I say probably because I can't look into your heart. But if you just want to name the name of Jesus and say you're a Christian, just like people around you in your circle of friends or your family, but you really have no desire to please the Lord, you're as lost as somebody that's never heard of Jesus, most likely. And I'm praying that the grace of God would grip your heart so much this morning. You would see that condition of your heart. You'd see the ugliness of sin and the beauty of Christ and you would turn and you would follow him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Are you a Christian? Are you a true believer in Jesus? That's the question I would first ask you this morning. Do you love Christ? You love his word. You have a desire for him. You hate your sin. You want to please him. If you're not sure, call out to him and ask him to save you. Say, oh God, I'm sorry for my sins. Cleanse me right now. I'm sick of it. I want to be born again. Call out to him right now. And share that with another believer later. Share it with me after this service. And we'd like to talk with you more about how God's at work in your heart. Father, I pray right now for these that hear this sermon and hear this message, Father, that you'd be at work and you'd be graciously at work to show them, Father, the true condition of their own hearts. Lord, encourage those whose pilgrim journey is, maybe it's pretty rough right now. They know you, but it's pretty rough. and Maybe they're entertaining a lot of, Thoughts about this, going back to the city of destruction that they shouldn't entertain, Lord. Lord, you love them, and I pray you'd show it. Lord, I draw those that, that just truly don't know you. Be with those that are just kind of on cruise control, wasting their time here on earth, Lord. I pray that none of us will waste our lives. Do this for your name's sake, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna stand and sing, sing this hymn together. And as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray about something this morning, I'll be standing here. Would love to talk with you, pray with you. You come right now as we stand and sing together. so much for being here with us this morning. It's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, as Bo Belt, one of our deacons, is coming to pray, let me remind you there not be any evening service tonight, and uh, but there are, is going to be a brief vacation Bible school meeting right here after the service is over, so just join Michelle right up here up front. And I think the senior high youth are our meeting tonight, is that correct? Okay. Thank you all for being here this morning. If you're here, you need prayer about something, want to talk about something? i uh, preached about this morning, something God's working your heart about. I'll be standing at those back doors and we'll love the chance to talk with you, so you'll be sure and hunt me down, but Brother bow close
2: Alright, let's bow our heads. Father God, uh, thank you so much for this service and this opportunity to gather together with believers, Father. Uh, Father, we want to lift up all our servicemen and women uh, over this Memorial Day weekend and uh, we thank you for those who have served uh, and uh, given us the freedom to be here uh, today, that we come in these doors and and, uh, just worship you freely, Father, and we thank you for all those servicemen and women that's provided our freedom. Uh, Father, we just lift them up overseas, those who uh, are away from their families, we just pray for them. May they feel a blessed prayer today, Father. Uh, Father, just uh, be with us as we go about our lives, uh, that we'd be uh, just looking for opportunities to uh, glorify you through... uh, delivering the gospel, and just picking others up, Father. Uh, We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God, until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life, At the age of 30 he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a the tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again after being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the Gospel.